I'm Jim Bryan, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm in a series in Hebrews that is getting extremely intricate and designed. And I want you to stick with me. If I repeat some of the things I've said, it's worth repeating and you can't get it all at once. I'm talking about predestination, the Sabbath, predestination, I'm talking about the Sabbath. And I'm talking about Israel provoking God provoking God and I'm talking about unbelief. Now, this past week we defined unbelief. Because of unbelief, because of A-P-I-S-T-I-S. That is the word unbelief. God says Israel could not enter into the Sabbath. And he was talking about when they were in the wilderness, they could not enter in to Canaan's land. When he said the Sabbath, he's talking about Canaan. And he said... They could not enter into my rest because of unbelief. And it had to do, I'm going to repeat this so I can kind of reset it up for you. But it had to do when they went into the Sinai Peninsula. The Sinai Peninsula is is where the, let me get over here to Sinai. Here it is. This is when they left Egypt. And they crossed the Red Sea and came. This is a peninsula right here. Let me tell you the difference between a peninsula. Now, I learned this somewhere in school, 8th or ninth or 10th grade. I don't remember where or when. A peninsula is a jutting of a piece of land into a area of water that would be florida would be a peninsula and isthmus i s t h m u s and isthmus is where it joins it's a land bridge that joins one one uh nation or land with another land that would be like the like this this uh, little land bridge right here that joins northern Greece to this Peloponnesus down here. Looks like a hand. There's an isthmus that joins the two. So, so what we're saying, the reason I keep calling it a, the Sinai Peninsula is because that's what it is. It juts out here and water surrounds it. So they come out away from Egypt, they come down here, and they go down to Mount Sinai. Now, when they're at Mount Sinai, Israel is fighting God all the way. In fact, 
when they leave, they were all upset because they didn't know how they were going to get away from Pharaoh. He changed, or God changed his mind, hardened his heart, and he decided after he willingly let him go, he decided to come after him. Well, God put a wall of fire between the children of Israel and Pharaoh's army. It must have been very wide wall of fire because it was too wide for Pharaoh to get around it. So it protected Israel while they crossed the Red Sea. And then they come down here and everything Israel did when they were in this Sinai land, everything they did, they griped and complained about God. And God says, that's why the ones that complained When you get over here, this is the Dead Sea right here. Let me put it like this on the board, like so. And this is Egypt. There's the Nile River. And here's the, here is the Red Sea, except that's not the shape of it. It's, it's, uh, more narrow up here. It's wider and then it goes into a narrow wider and then it comes back out wide that's the red sea and then here's the peninsula when they when they leave egypt they come out and the 40 years they're in the desert has to do with their complaining and their griping because they say god brought them out there to die at the hand of Moses and Aaron. And they said, we need to kill Moses and Aaron and get us a captain to take us back into Egypt. Well, this has to do, this wilderness is a picture of our lives as believers. Because God brings them from one problem to another and they go, they complain constantly. What God is telling us, I don't want you complaining. I'm putting you on this path, and you're going to come into some insurmountable problems, fights, and things that you can't overcome. But you have to depend on me as your God to take care of these things. I've had things in my life that I could not overcome. And I say, Lord, you do this. You take care of this. And he does. Well, they when they leave, when they leave Egypt, they leave Egypt in Exodus the 13th and 14th chapter the 12th chapter is the last the last uh, plague in Egypt that's the Passover it's the death of the firstborn then they leave Egypt in 13 and 14 14 is where God puts them down puts Pharaoh in the bottom of the Red Sea and takes the wheels off their chariots and drowns Pharaoh's and his armies Now, when they leave Sinai, it's in Numbers, the 10th chapter. Numbers 10. So as of this Exodus, the 18th chapter is where they arrive at Sinai. They get to Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain in the 19th chapter, comes down in the 20th chapter with the Ten Commandments on tables of stone well then they then they get down here and 
so you're having all kinds of problems between the 13th and 14th chapters and up to Numbers 10. That would be Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Leviticus is the laws of the Levites. That's the priests of Israel. So they get down here. They leave and they go up here to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh. And they spend some time there. Kadesh Barnea. And all they're doing is griping and complaining all the time. That's the same thing. If you're a believer and you gripe and complain because you don't have enough money, you don't have the right job, you don't have the things you think you ought to have, and you don't think God can take care of you, it's the same thing. So when they get up to Kadesh Barnea, God, this is very important because Hebrews... 3 and 4 is built on on everything that happened down there when they were at Kadesh Barnea. And they were at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers 13, 14, all the way up to Numbers 21. They were at Kadesh Barnea. 13 and 14 is where their first major for first major gripes and complaints that first provoking God and God reminds them of that all the way through the rest of the law through numbers all the way through Deuteronomy now there's something else that happens Moses provokes God too when they get to Kadesh Borneo God tells them to go in and conquer this land of Anak, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod. That's also the land of the Philistines later on. And it's today what we call the Gaza Strip. So that's the land of Anak or the Anakims. And they go in there to Anak and God tells them to spy out the land. They spy the land for 40 days. When they come back, they tell Moses, these guys are too big. We can't go in and attack them. It's the men of Anak. They're nine feet tall. How can we beat these guys? We can't. Well, God beat the biggest army in the world over there when they crossed the Red Sea. They just didn't believe God. Every time they turned around when it looked too difficult, that's the same thing we do when we come across something that's too difficult, and the Bible says, and it compares the land of Canaan, when you come up here north of the Dead Sea, when they finish up their time in the wilderness, they come up north of the Dead Sea, and they encamp. They encamp. This is the Sea of Galilee up here. This is the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. And they come up here and they start to cross the river. Now when they get to this place, there is a mountain here. It has several names. It's called Pisgah or Nebo. Nebo. It has one other name I'll go into. And 
that is where Moses dies. Moses dies before he gets to go into the land. God takes him up on the Mount Pisgah's lofty heights. We have that in a song. And he says, you can look over and see the land, but you cannot go in. Now, we're going to look at that, why he could not go in. God forbid Moses to go in. You'd think, why? Why would he forbid? Moses is the only person that saw God face to face, and God talked to him. Boy, something else. And you would think that Moses would have behaved himself. He was just like any other person in charge. It's very easy to have your pride be lifted up. And when you get to be the head of things or the king or the prince or something like that, it's easy to be lifted up. Now I want us to go back where we started this. I don't know exactly how to tell you all of this. But he says here, Harden not your hearts, in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Hebrews. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. He's talking about, don't harden your heart like the people did when they said, we can't conquer these people up here. Don't harden your heart, saying, I can't conquer these problems in my life. God says, I can So they said, we can't. So God says, Moses, you tell the people. Everybody 20 years old and upward that rebelled against me when you went in there to search out the land, all of the people, those tribes, I'm going to kill them and they're going to die. They're going to die in the wilderness and I'm going to make one in the wilderness 40 years a year for every day you spied out the land. They spied the land for 40 days. So God says, you've got to wander in this wilderness for 40 years till I kill off all unbelief. So when you get to Deuteronomy, unbelief, when you get to Deuteronomy, that's when they're about to cross the Jordan River to take possession of the land that was given to Abraham hundreds of years before, about 600 years before. So they're going to go in and take possession of the land. Well, when they get ready to go in and take possession, God takes Moses up into the mountain and he causes him to die because Moses rebelled against God. There's some points I want you to see about this. He says, harden not your hearts. And he says, so I swear in the wrath of the people. It doesn't say my wrath. It says tay or gay. They is feminine gender or gay is feminine. This is not the wrath of God. It says my wrath in the English text. That's not correct. When you go into interlinear Bible, it says tay, the, or gay. Or gay is the wrath of a covetous man, and he wants to get revenge on somebody. So God swore in the wrath of the people when they threatened to kill Moses and Aaron. 
that they would not enter into my rest. I've said this before, but you've got to get a hold of this. Sabbath is the word S-H-A-B-B-A-T-H. It does not mean seventh. Forget that. It means rest. There's something that happens on the Sabbath. Actually, it doesn't happen. It's called kautal pauses. This is identified in this chapter. In this chapter, it is identified with the Sabbath. It's identified because this is what you don't do on the Sabbath. Notice I said don't do. You couldn't do nothing on the Sabbath. Kautal means down and pauses is our word pause. It means to pause down or settle down and don't move. In the 16th chapter of Exodus, on the Sabbath, they had to go into their homes, stay there. They didn't go to church. They didn't go listen to the priests. They listened to nobody. They had to sit still. It was a day of rest, of katapasis. There's a word in the Old Testament that's identified with what you don't do on the Sabbath. Sabbath. That's the word nuach, N-U-W-A-C-H. It means rest. Job said, if I had died from my mother's womb, then would I have been, in the third chapter of Job, then would I have been at rest at nuach. Now, the Bible speaks of this same word being used constantly. Now, let's go on down through here. I want to... Let you, I want you to see something. This is a long study. Now, let's read on. Take heed, brethren, verse 12, lest there be of any of you an evil heart of unbelief. He's saying, just like those people that murmured against God, an evil heart of A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis is the word faith. P-I-S-T-E-U-O is the word believe. That's the verb form of faith. If you notice, I keep saying the P-I-S-T is the stem of the word. Apistus means no. The alpha period negates the word. It, it gives an opposite meaning. means no faith. What's really amazing, when God is talking when God speaks in Deuteronomy about what they did back here in Numbers, he said Israel had no faith that I could deliver them. When you don't believe that God can take you through all your difficulties, that's no faith. When you have no faith, anywhere you find in the Bible... There's a verse in the Bible that says, in fact, it's over here in in Romans, the 14th chapter. I said this last week. I'm going to remind you again. He says here in Romans 14:23, He that doubteth is damned. Not damned to hell. 
That word doubteth is the word diacrino. Boy, watch this. D-I-A-K-R-I-N-O. Now, I'm going to tie this with what I said last week. We said last week that staggering, this is another way to really study the Bible and get what, get what, get what it says, get it out of it. So, doubteth is the word diacrino. Diacrino, dia means the method or the channel. The method or the channel of crino. Crino means to judge. You become the method of judging. May I just kind of repeat this? When the Bible says, Judge not that you be not judged. With what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. What measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Whenever I put down some false teacher, people say, You're judging. I'm supposed to judge. John 7.24 says, Judge righteous judgment. When you start a sentence with a verb, judge is a verb in Matthew 7 and 1. There's an understood subject when it starts with a direct address, a verb. You judge not. Though you decide who is guilty or innocent, God's already decided, so you judge righteous judgment. That's in John seven twenty four. When people say judge not, even Matthew 7 and 1 doesn't say judge not. It says get the beam out of your eye so you can see clearly to get the mote out of your brother's eye. Clean up your own life first. Get rid of your opinions. Then you can judge righteous judge. So back to doubteth. He that doubteth is damned. It's not talking about damned in hell. It's talking about damned and cut off from God and fellowship with God. Damned is the word katakrino. It means you've been judged against. Katakrino. That is the word condemned. He He that doubteth is damned. Katakrino. It means you are judged against or down you are God's passed a judgment against you now what in the world is this saying it says he that doubteth because he eateth not of faith you know how many definitions this takes for whatsoever is not of faith is sin I don't know if I can go through this today this is a lot not of faith, not of faith. Wouldn't that be the same thing as A P I S T I S? No faith, no faith. Pistis is the word faith, so no faith. It's what keeps you from entering into God's Sabbath. So doubting, doubting 
equals no faith in this verse. Doubting equals no faith. Well, there's another verse over in Romans 4 that says, Abraham considered it not his own body, now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb when God says, I'm going to raise a son from your dead loins and from Sarah's dead, from her dead womb, and that will be Isaac. That's a really an amazing thing because Galatians, the third chapter, says the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel to Abraham. The gospel was the resurrection. That's God preaching to Abraham that he was going to resurrect a son from his dead loins and Sarah's dead womb. That's the gospel that was preached to Abraham. The gospel. Now, let me get back to this diacrino. Diacrino is doubting. Or it's unbelief. Not It's not of faith. The man that doubteth is not of faith. He's apistus. We said that provoking God was apistus. Provoking God equals no faith in Hebrews the third and the fourth chapter no faith are provoking God provoking God equals to a p i s t i s no faith the alpha period negates the word gives an opposite meaning let's go back over here to Romans in order to explain this chapter Doubting being no faith. I've got to know what's going on in the chapter. Let me do this. I don't know whether... Let me go ahead and read Romans 4. Let me read this to you. This is all comes together and it's of the story of the church not having faith. You know what we have... When we first come to Christ, we have little faith. We have oligos pistis. Most of what we have is very little to no faith. Oligos means puny. But faith has to grow. Besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith and God names seven things to add to your faith seven things now let me read this one more time he says here in Romans 4 in Romans 4 he says speaking of God in verse 17 as it is written This is God speaking. I have made thee a father, Abraham, of many nations before him, before God, whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead. God quickens the dead. Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. That is the word quicken. means to make poeo zoo alive. 
We go to a zoo and see living animals. So God makes alive the dead and calls those things which be not. In the next verse, he's going to tell us what is not. It's the dead loins of Abraham, the dead womb of Sarah. She was 90 years old. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. He couldn't have children. She couldn't have children. But they did. Now, he explains just the same way. Israel could not go and attack the land of Anak. They couldn't whip them up there. They were too big. They said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're too small. You're not too small with God on your side to whip any situation. I don't mean you're supposed to be charging in like a wild man. You you live righteously and godly and holy, and God will supply your need. Stop your sin. Stop being presumptuous about your life and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do the best I can. Then he says, who against hope believed in hope. Abraham had no hope. He never had had a son. Here he was a hundred years old and his wife's going to have a son and she's 90. Too old. In fact, she laughed at God and Sarah means to laugh. Laughter. She laughed at God when he said, you're going to have a son. That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed Isaac be the head of many nations and being not weak in faith he he wasn't weak in faith he was strong in faith he had plenty of pistis p-i-s-t-i-s he did not have a-p-i-s no faith he had faith Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. So stagger equals unbelief. I'm afraid you're going to have to listen to all of these DVDs to get the whole picture. It's like one long story. You can't get it by listening to one of them. This has got a huge picture to it. So we're going to talk about unbelief. Abraham's taking... So you've got... Let me put it over here like this. Romans 4. Stagger, which is the word diacrino, equals unbelief. Apistus, no faith. And we found out in Romans 14 that doubting diacrino 
well, if doubt is diacrino, it's the same thing as stagger. They're both equal to diacrino. Equals unbelief. And we found that over in Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. That unbelief. Unbelief. Apistus. It's what happened or it equals provoking God. So provoking God is going to equal doubt. It's going to equal stagger, isn't it? It's all the same thing. Unbelief is provoking God because they said you can't meet our needs to conquer our enemies while we're in the wilderness. It's the same thing with Christians. You can't beat these people that are trying to beat me and my enemies that are trying to destroy me. Oh, yes, he can. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care what you don't have. When you apply yourself to righteous living and godly living, you want to win But you don't apply yourself in order to win. You apply yourself in order to believe God. And everything that faith is, when you have this doubting, you have the diacrino doubt. We went through some of that last week. Let me show you one other thing. Look at Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4. Here's another place where the word diacrino is mentioned. In verse 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another? Who makes you differ? Make to differ. Look here. Make to differ is the word diacrino. Now the difference in this verse and these verses up here is who. Who makes you different? This word diacrino means to discriminate. Who is you cannot discriminate against anyone for their looks or their size or their lack of talent. Everything comes from God. Everything. The who is God makes you to differ. God is the one that diacrino it's okay for God to discriminate it's not okay for us to he discriminates who made you better looking more talented in any given field who gave you the ability to analyze scripture Jim Brown 
Who gave you a voice to sing and then took it away from you? Who gave you the ability to play a guitar, to hit a ball, to throw a ball like a bullet? And you're one of these big super NFL players like Tom Brady or like Joe Namath was or like or like all these other great ball players. Who gave you the ability to knock a home run over the fence in one of these big league games? Who gave you that power and that ability? Who gave you the quickness of the arm and the pop and the snap of the bat to knock the ball further than anybody else? You didn't come up with that yourself. It was born in you. Come from your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. That's why he goes on to say, And what dost thou have that thou didst not receive? The whole idea is you received it from God. Now, if you received it from God, why are you taking the glory as though you hadn't received it from God? No man has a right to glory in anything that he has or does ever. Not in singing, not in playing an instrument. If you're a talented musician out there, you need to pay attention to this. Most musicians that are great, they think they're special and they think they're above other people. Most people have great voices, think they're better than other people. Most people that have a business acumen to make lots of money, they think they're better than other people. Well, let me remind you of something. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. not many mighty not many wise in this world not many noble or called of God not many are kaleo not many somebodies in this world are called remember ek kaleo ek k-a-l-e-s-i-a is the word church kaleo Ecclesia comes from Ek and Kaleo. Not many mighty, noble, or well genes, blue bloods, are called of God. Not many of them are in the church, the body of Christ. Not many did Jesus die for. If he died for you, he wants your obedience to him. I've got so many things on this. I want us to go back over to Hebrews, this third and fourth chapter. And he tells us what unbelief is. He says unbelief. Well, let me just say this before I get further. There's a word here that I really like. In verse 10 of chapter 3. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation in the wilderness and said they do always err in their heart. That word err is the word planeo. Israel didn't do any more than what we do in America as believers when we think God God can't conquer our giants, our boss, our lack of house, our lack of 
of uh, anything that we want. He can conquer anything. It's not how much you get that makes you successful. Money does not make you successful. If that's true, then Bill Gates would be the most one of the most successful people in America with his $100 billion somewhere in that neighborhood. He's not successful. He'll die in his sin and go to hell without repentance. And he don't have that much longer to live because he's about 65, 67 now. Therefore, he's probably going to die in the next 20 years. So all of that $100 billion he's got is going to belong to somebody else in 20 years. Not him. He'll probably be dead and in hell in 20 years. Would you sell your soul for $100 billion so you could have that for the next 20 years and then be in hell? How do you know he's not saved? Well, he never talks about death to self and daily cross and self-denial, does he? He never takes a cross and dies daily. And Jesus said, without one, you can't be my disciple. You can't follow me. Now, it goes on to say, in verse, they do err in their heart because they've not known my ways. The word err is the word planeo. Let me write this down where you can see it. Here is the word err. Planeo. A man heirs, heirs, paneo, because he does not know the ways of God. Jesus said in Matthew 20 that the Sadducees The Sadducees erred not knowing the Scripture. This is where a man is led away and deceived. It is a form of the word planetes. We get our word planet from that means a wanderer. A man just wanders from pillar to pillar and post to post when he doesn't know the ways, the hodos. And the hodos is the narrow way. Narrow is the hodos that leads to eternal life. And only if you know the thalipsis or thalibo, when it's narrow comes from the word thalipsis, which is the common Greek word tribulation. They've not known the tribulation of God. And they don't know the scripture. When preachers don't know the scripture, this word planetes means to be caused to leave 
the way. And there's only one way that leads to life that's narrow. So they don't know the narrow tribulation way and that's why they err. The preachers don't know the tribulation way. Now, let me go on and finish this up. Verse 17 of chapter 3, With whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not the ones he was grieved with, the ones that said, We can't conquer all these unbelievable, outstanding, opposing giants, whatever's in my life, I can't conquer it. You're not supposed to. You know that all we have to do is be obedient to his word, and he will conquer all of our problems. You say, well, he hadn't conquered mine. I need more than what I got to live. You don't need any more than you got. The main thing you need to learn to do is be obedient to his laws and his commandments. 100%. Then everything that you're, everything that everybody is, what your looks, your lack of looks, your talent, your lack of talent is all the will of God. It's all what God wants to go on in your life. Now, then he goes on to say, you know, I have to read this over and over to get the full understanding of it. If you think you get it the first time around and you do something I can't do. Verse 17, chapter 3 of Hebrews. Well, with whom was he grieved 40 years? We can answer that with the ones that murmured against God and provoked God, said we can't conquer this overwhelming battle with these gigantic men. I can't conquer the battles with my gigantic problems in life that's too big for me to conquer. God will do that. All you have to do is be obedient to him. And I'm not saying he's going to make you rich. He's not. When you come to a place like the Apostle Paul said... I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know the state that Paul was in? I've learned that whatever state. That's in Philippians 4.11. You know the state he was in, the condition he was in, when he said, I've learned to be content. Philippians was a prison epistle. He wrote that long after long after he'd made all these journeys through all the world. Let me see if I can find one of them. Paul had gone on all these journeys. And when he finished all of his journeys, the last journey he took was to Rome where the Roman soldiers took him there in the 23rd, 24th chapter of Acts and took him to Rome. And when he said this, you have to know where he was, what was going on in his mind. I don't have Paul's journeys on this. I got his journeys on this here. 
Paul took his first journey up here to Antioch, down to Cyprus, up to Pamphylia, and went up here to Galatia, and then came back home. That was his first journey. His second journey, he came out of, went up here to Lystra, went over here to Thessalonica and Philippine, and came down to to Athens, and went over here to Corinth, and then came back home. Then his third journey, he went, he left Antioch, went up here to Lystra again, Antioch, went over here through Ephesus, his life was threatened there, he went up to Philippi and Thessalonica, back down to, back down to Corinth, and then back home. When he wrote, when Paul wrote Philippians, that's when he was taken by Roman soldiers in Caesarea and went by boat, went all the way up here to Rome. He was under a Roman guard when he made this statement and said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am. The state he was in, and I don't mean Roman state, I mean the condition of Paul. He was in a Roman jail waiting to be executed. Tradition says that he that he was beheaded. Tradition says he was beheaded, had his head cut off. He was waiting to have his head cut off. That's where he was when he said, I have learned to be content. Alt A R K E S. Ought comes from auto is the word self. Archeo means to ward off. When you ward something off, you push it away. He's saying, I learned to push away myself when I'm here in prison. I have no future in this life and I'm ready to go be with God. You may have to get old before you push self away. If you know you're right at death's door, you're going to be worrying about whether the house is locked or whether somebody stole your car. I'll tell you one thing. I've laid on a gurney at the hospital having a heart attack, and I wasn't concerned whether Mary locked the door at the house or not. I didn't care if somebody had stole my car. I wanted to be able to live. I've been rushed to the hospital in the middle of the night with asthmatic bronchitis and with asthma attacks and saying, oh, hurry, 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 get me to the hospital, I can't breathe. And the nurse would say, Mr. Brown, uh, calm down. i say, you calm down. You're the one that's breathing. I'm not. I didn't care if we walked away and the house was wide open. I wanted to breathe. That's what life is about. When it comes time to die, you'll learn to push away self. That's the word content. The older I get, the less I care about me. The more I want to help people to learn the truth. Let me read the last two verses. This is all about provoking God. 
How much time do I have, Mike? 21. Huh? 21. 21. 41. 41? Yeah. Let me see if I can get to this. To whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? It's obvious to us. Who did he swear they wasn't going to enter into? Kautopasis. Referring. He's referring. The writer of Hebrews is referring. They're in the wilderness here. Here's Israel. Wilderness comes up here. Here's Israel. There's the Sinai Peninsula. Who did God swear? This verse is saying. Who did he swear that they wasn't going to enter into his rest, his catapulsis, to settle down? His actual reference was to Canaan. And it's a reference to the spiritual Sabbath. When he's well, let me let me read that again. To whom swear he that they would not enter into his rest? Who did he swear that to? To those people that rebelled against God when he said, Go in here, you can't conquer my enemies, they're too big. We can't conquer them, and we have to conquer them. When you think you have to conquer the problems in your life, that's wrong. Especially if you're a believer. It may take God some years to get you to that point of saying, I have what I'm supposed to have, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm just going to bow to the will of God and everything that's going on in my life. To whom swear they that they would not when they come through the land of Moab and after 40 years in the wilderness God kills all unbelief he kills off all apistas he kills off all doubting all staggering all doubt all stagger he kills off all provoking God so when you get to Deuteronomy, Paul is only talking to believers. They're just about to cross. Deuteronomy comes from duo and nomos. Duo means second. A duet is two. Nomos is the word law. It means second law. This is God's verification that everything he said was true. And a lot of things that were said in Exodus through Numbers is repeated in Deuteronomy as God's second witness. It takes two witnesses to have established anything in Israel. So, to whom swear they wouldn't going to enter into Canaan, which God called his rest, which was the spiritual Sabbath. And then he says... But to them that believed not that I could beat their enemies. That's the ones that he swore to. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Apistus, no faith. He says the same thing referencing these people back over in Deuteronomy. Go over to 
I guess I need to put this in because this is really, it's all about no faith. No faith. Let's go back over that to Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter. And in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses, who writes the book of Deuteronomy, is reminding the people of their unbelief when they were in the wilderness. When you get to the Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, let me erase this. This is all about you and I. When we read this third and fourth chapter of Hebrews, it's about us having no faith when we when we're young in the faith and God's got to kill off self desires or the outer man and that's what this is talking about. What's amazing four is the number of God's judgments. How long were they in the wilderness? Forty years. The writers studying numbers say any multiple of ten, a hundred, or a thousand is a form of the original number. Forty years is an, is a number that goes back to four. There were four judgments, the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. Four is always that number. So 40 years is the same thing. When we go through life, God sends the sword in our life, war in our life. He sends the famine of the word in our life. Pestilence is all the disease that we go through, and that's when God will deliver us after we go through so many problems in our life. Now, I want us to go back over here to Deuteronomy. You're at the very end of Moses' life. And in this 32nd chapter, Moses is reminding us of what Israel has done all through Numbers, Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's called the law. Genesis takes you all the way to Joseph. There's about 2,000 years in Genesis from Exodus down to the end of the Old Testament is only about 1,700 years. There's more time in Genesis than there in the rest of the Old Testament. Or 1,750, somewhere in the neighborhood. If you can kind of get a layout of these things, I'm going to go back to Moses and show you where he murdered against God. And God forbid him and Aaron, who had built a golden calf in the wilderness, and Miriam, their older sister, from going into the land. The same time, in Numbers 20, 
where Moses broke the law of God. Moses displeased God, displeased God. In that number is 20. That's what God kills Miriam, their sister, and Aaron. Now he's going to, he's getting ready to kill Moses in this 30. In the, he's telling Moses to prepare himself in the 33rd chapter because in the 34th chapter that's where he takes Moses up on Mount Nebo and nobody knows what happens to Moses he was 120 years old you can see that in Deuteronomy 34 verse 7 and Moses was 120 years old when he died and his eyes were not dim his eyes were as good as they ever were and his natural force was not abated had not vanished away he was as healthy at 120 as he was when they left Egypt when they left Egypt he was 80 and they're 40 years in the wilderness and that's 120 120 years old he was 80 when they left Egypt. Healthy as a horse. But he was healthy as a horse when he died. Now, I'm going to show you. Hebrews 3 said, those people that didn't believe God had no faith. He says the same thing in this 32nd chapter. And before he takes Moses, this is all about us and our faith. In that 32nd chapter, he's talking about, I don't even know where to start here. I may read the whole chapter. Verse 1, Give ear, O ye heavens, I will speak and hear, O earth. Remember the heavens was the ruling class and the earth was the ruled. The words of my mouth... My doctrine shall drop as rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon grass. This is God speaking. He's saying, I'm not as hard as what you think. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe you greatness unto our God. He is the rock. Moses was told to speak to the rock for the murmuring Israelites in the wilderness in that 20th chapter. Because the people were so ornery against God and wanted to kill Moses and Aaron, Moses got mad at the people, took the rod that he would the same one that he threw down in front of Pharaoh and it turned to a serpent the same one that he held over his head and as long as he held it up and they helped him hold us up the waters were kept spread apart in the Red Sea 
He took that same rod and God told Moses, speak to the rock. Now over in Exodus, he told him to hit the rock. But when he told him to speak to the rock in Numbers 20, Moses is in a rage against the people because they were always murmuring against God. And Moses took the rod and he hit the rock twice. God says, just for that, you don't get to go into the promised land. It's over. That tore Moses apart. He even came to a place, and we'll read about it. He was begging God, said, God, please let me go over. He said, no. I'll take you up into Mount Nebo, and you can look at the promised land, but you're not going. Neither is Aaron who built a golden calf in the wilderness. Neither is man who spoke against Moses that he had married an Ethiopian woman. She's not going. I'm going to kill both of them in this 20th chapter. That was Moses' older brother and sister. The rock that was... Who is the rock in the wilderness? That's Christ, isn't it? The water comes out of the rock. Do you realize when there was a rock to give the people of Israel water in the wilderness, they had two, two and a half to three million people in the wilderness. Two and a half to three million is everybody in, well, it's more than people in Nashville and all of its suburbs. It'd be twice the size of Nashville and all of its suburbs. How big does a rock need to be to give all those people water? It has to be bigger than anything we've got. It had to be huge. When Moses struck the rock, there must have been a river come out of it. Something else, isn't it? Let me put it this way. He is the rock. That's Christ. There's only one He, and that's Christ. That's the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth, without iniquity, just and right is He. They have corrupted themselves. This is God speaking in the wilderness to Moses. The children of Israel, have we corrupted ourselves through unbelief? Belief is not just what saves, it's what delivers God's people in all of our trials of life. Their spot is not the spot of His children. They are perverse, they're twisted, and a crooked generation because they've provoked me, said, I can't take care of them against giant enemies. Do you thus require the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? He's, this is God talking to Israel. People don't even know who God's talking to in this. God is not talking to any vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. He's talking to his people that don't believe him. Is anybody here or anybody listening that hasn't believed God for all your difficulties in life? Are they health? Are they money? 
Is it a car? Is it a house? Is it a way to live? Is it groceries? All we have to do is be obedient to God and He supplies. Is not He thy Father that hath bought thee? Hath He not made thee and established thee? Israel? Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee, thy elders and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided the nations, their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam into Cain and Abel, or actually to Cain and Seth, who took the place of Abel, he set the bounds of the people according to to the number of the children of Israel. He set the boundary. The horos. In the Greek it's horos. And it comes from horizo. Prohorizo is the word predestinate. It means the boundary of light. Who set the boundary of light for Israel? Who set aside a kingdom where they were to rule? God says it was me. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, is the lot of his inheritance. He found Jacob in a desert, in a desert land, in a waste, howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. That has a lot of explanation. I go into the apple or the pupil of the eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them and beareth the young upon her wings. Boy, that's an interesting thing. The mother eagle would push the baby eaglet A baby eagle is called an eaglet, E-G-L-E-T. When she felt like it was time for the eaglet to fly, she'd push right into the air, and if the baby eaglet flapped its wing and she saw it sinking, the mother eagle would come up under, flap wings, and give her lift and carry her back up to the nest with this lift of her wings. That's how she took care of her babies. We'll mount up with wings as eagles. If We'll run and not be weary. We'll walk and not faint when we trust in the Lord. You see, just like a mother eagle, he'll take care of the mother. The baby eaglet cannot fly. But the mother eagle will take care of it. And God will take care of us. So the Lord alone did lead him. There was no strange God with Moses. He made him ride on high places of the earth. That he might eat the increase of the fields. He said, I'll fill up your fields. I'll fill up your storehouses. All you have to do is obey me. That's it. Well, that's simple, isn't it? Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and food and clothing will be added to you. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. 
all those rocks in Israel they had reminds me in the 14th chapter of 1st Samuel when when Jonathan came up against a bunch of Philistines and they were down in these rocks there was honey all over the side of these rocks Israel was a land flowing with milk and honey because they had many bees there butter of kind and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams and the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat and thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape the Jews said the purest thing they could put in their mouth was the pure blood of the grape it was not a drunken elixir but Jeshurun which is another name for Israel waxed fat and kicked at my word thou art waxing fat thou art grown thick Israel bunch of hardheads like people in the church thou art covered with fatness then he forsook God which made him Israel forsook God and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation they lightly esteemed Christ they provoked him when they said we can't conquer those giants and neither can you God they didn't provoke him once they provoked him many times I'm going to go through all those provocations they provoke him to jealousy with strange gods that's certainly what Aaron did when he when Moses was upon the mountain too long at Sinai the people came to Aaron and said make us a god to go before us so Aaron took and they took all their gold bracelets and jewelry gave it to Aaron he made a golden calf and Moses came down from the mountain and Moses said what have you done and Aaron said well uh, uh, I couldn't help it the people brought all this gold to me and I threw it in the fire and I jumped this golden calf one of the stupidest lies that's ever been told Aaron had rocks in his head that day and I believe that's one of the reasons that God killed him in Numbers the 20th chapter now where was I they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods and with abominations provoked they him to anger who is they? it's Israel it's the church in the wilderness the church was in the wilderness let me show you something do I have any time Mike? huh? I can't hear you look here at Acts I just want to show you Christ was in the wilderness with Israel. He is that rock he's talking about. Look here in Acts 7. This is where this is where Stephen is standing in front of the Sanhedrin. They took him and he tells them the entire story of Israel. If you want to know the story of Israel in the New Testament, read the 7th chapter of Acts. He tells him he starts with Abraham. Uh, God entreated them 400 years in Egypt. And then he says over here in 
verse 36 of chapter 7. He brought them out after that he showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt. That's where we are. That's where we are in the wilderness in Deuteronomy. He showed signs and wonders, ten plagues in Egypt. And in the Red Sea, that's where he drowned Pharaoh's armies. And in the wilderness, 40 years. Verse 37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, and he's going to quote Deuteronomy the 18th chapter. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him you will hear. That's Jesus. They went to John the Baptist and said, you'll find that that prophet spoken of in the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy. They went to John the Baptist in the first chapter of John and said, Art thou that prophet? And he said, No, I'm not. Are you the Messiah? No, I'm not. Who are you? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And then it says in verse 38, This is he, this prophet. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. People say the church didn't get to Acts 2. No, that's not true. Church in that verse is Ecclesia. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. The church was in the wilderness. Church is, means called out. Kaleo ek. Out. Called out. Israel was called out of Egypt. We're called out of this world to live righteously for God. We are the church. Israel was the church. He was in the church in the wilderness with the angel who spake to him in Mount Sinai with our fathers who received the lively oracles or the law to give unto us. Now back over here. Back over here to Deuteronomy 32. How can Israel do all of this? God's delivered them through all these miracles and they keep doing these things. You want to just say, what's wrong with you? And they're going to say, what's wrong with you in America? Verse 17 of chapter 32. They sacrificed unto devils. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. These pagans here sacrifice unto devils. They offer sacrifices unto their D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. That's in 1 Corinthians 10. And that's our word Demon. They call their ancestors by the title of Daemonion, and that's what they named their gods, Hercules or Venus or whoever they are, Jupiter. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they did not know. It sounds like Acts 16, where Paul is at Athens, and he goes out to Mars Hill, and he said, You've got a God, you've got a statue of all the gods, except there's this one you said to the unknown God, and you don't even know him. That's the one I want to talk to you about. It's Jehovah God. 
they sacrificed unto devils, not to gods, to gods they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom their fathers feared not. Of the rock, Christ, that beget thee, thou art unmindful. You're not even thinking about Jehovah God. And Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. He said, before Abraham was, I am, in John 8. The Pharisees said, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. I am the I am God. And it was the I am God. It was Jehovah, the I am God, that told Moses, you go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, but what if the people say, what is this God's name? Since it's been 400 years they serve you. He said, you tell them I am has sent me. Jesus said, I am the I am. Of the rock that beget thee, thou art unmindful, speaking of Christ, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. They provoked God. He's reminding them of what went on back in Numbers 13 and 14 and other places in the book of the Pentateuch the first five books and he said I will hide my face from them so they cannot see me I will see what their end shall be for they are a very froward tapuka twisted generation children of whom is no faith when he spoke of Israel provoking God he said they had no faith in the third chapter of Hebrews and right here is the first time he says it they had no faith they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God they have provoked me with their unbelief let me tell you If you're watching on the TV or on the Internet and you're a believer, this needs to challenge you. You're provoking God when you sit around worrying all the time. The Bible says take no thought for your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or how you'll be clothed. The Heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Take thought. Merimnao is an imperative command of God. M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. Take thought. Don't marimna, M-E-R-I-M-N-A. It means to worry. All of God's children are going to be taken care of somehow. It may not be according to your lifestyle that you want. All you have to do is be obedient to God as one of his believers. That's all. And practice belief every day of your life. Boy, this preaches to me as much as anything because I used to worry and get mad all the time. Somebody trying to destroy or hurt the ministry, I've learned to leave everything alone. Just have my mind on Christ. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and do all to the glory of God. Enter into God's spiritual Sabbath, His rest. You can enter into that in this life. 
They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. You know that America claims to be serving God and they're not. The Bible says covetousness is their God. Covetousness, pleonectes. Covetousness is idolatry, equals idolatry. Idolatry, E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A, means to serve. Latruo, L-A-T-R-E-U-O, what you see, what you edo. And when you serve what you see, that is your God. Pleodactase means to want more. That's covetous. And when you want more and you sit around trying to worry and stress about having it and you say, I can't conquer these giants in in my life, you're not supposed to conquer giants in your life. Nobody is. If you're a believer, you're supposed to do the best you can, work your job, pay your bills, and rest. Boy, it's easy for me to say because I'm 81. It wasn't easy for me to say when I was 50 and 55. It was hard for me to say. If you can just get get close to 90 and you're going to die very shortly, you're not going to be worrying about anything. I didn't consider myself old till I hit 80. And I said, well, I am old now. And I realize I don't have long, that long to live. I would be a fool to think I'm going to live to be 105 or 10. Nobody lives that old. I'm probably going to be dead in 8 to 10 years. Surely in 10. Let's continue reading. They have moved me to jealousy with with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. Well, I killed off everybody from forty in forty years that was twenty years old and upward that murmured against me, and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. That's a prophecy of the Gentiles. I'm going to move them to jealousy when I extend my truth to all flesh, to all men, because I only gave my truth to the Jewish flesh in the Old Testament. I'm going to blind their eyes and pour out of my spirit, which is the truth, on the Gentiles, which is the all flesh of the all men. How much time do you have, Mike? Six. Huh? Six minutes. Six. Six. Let me see if I can finish reading this. I can't. For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest tail, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains of Israel. Doesn't say Israel, but that's what he's talking about. I will heap mischiefs upon them, upon Israel. 
I will spend mine arrows upon them, and they shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat. He's talking to Israel because they murmured against him and provoked him with their unbelief as believers. And with bitter destruction I will send the teeth of beasts upon them and with the poison of serpents of the dust. He's talking about evil men there. The sword without, the terror within shall destroy both the young man and the virgin and the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. I'm not going to pity anybody in Israel when I start destroying them. And I said I would scatter them into corners. That's the beast. Notice how God says something. Sometimes he doesn't say sword, famine, pestilence, beast. He says sword in verse 25. He speaks of poison, of serpents. Every time he says serpents in the Bible, the majority of the time he's talking about evil men. I would scatter them in the corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Let me remind you, he's talking to Israel who's provoked him and he's led him out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt. He's brought all kinds of miracles upon them and they just sit and spit in his face. I think the church is doing that in America. When I was talking to my doctor the other day, He said, we live in a post-Christian America. I said, thank you. In other words, we're past Christianity. He said, America's not a Christian nation. I said, you're exactly right. And it's not. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, unless they should say our hand is high and the Lord hath not done all of this. This says God has done everything. And the enemies will say God has not done this. For they are the nation void of counsel, talking about Israel. Neither is there any understanding in Israel. When you read the Old Testament, you read the law, he's not talking about people of Moab or Ammon. He's talking about when they come against Israel, I'll destroy them. Oh, that they were wise, talking about Israel, that they understand this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one... He said the same thing in verse 30. He said over in Leviticus 26. The same thing he said in Deuteronomy 28. When he said, you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways and it doesn't matter how many there are. You'll take two and send 10,000 to flight in Leviticus 26. How shall one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight? The only way is except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up and protected them. But the only way God does that is when we're obedient to his word. We have to be obedient to the faith. We have to obey the law. The law comes in two parts, the letter and the spirit. We have to be spiritually obedient to God. We have to do righteousness. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. 
We have to do the light and do the truth. He that doeth the truth cometh to the light. For their rock is not our rock. What they're depending on in the wilderness is not the rock of the Lord. Even our enemies themselves being judges. I hope Deuteronomy can show you just how God turned away from Israel because of their rebellion. That's the same thing that America's doing, rebelling against God, disobedient. The preachers are disobedient. They won't talk about God's requirement of obedience. For their vine is a vine of Sodom, and the fields of Gomorrah, and their grapes are grapes of gall, and their clusters are bitter. Those are words that God uses to say, I bring curses upon Israel. Their wine is the poison of dragons, and cruel venom of asp. Is not this laid up in store with me, and sealed up among my treasures? To me belongeth vengeance. He said in Romans 12, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I will take care of your enemies. You don't have to take revenge on them. I do that. And recompense, and their foot shall slide in due time. They'll be like a foot is up on a banana peel. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants when he seeth that their power is gone. God has to take the power away. I'm out of time. I want to go through that 33rd chapter. I want you to see all these words against Israel for provoking God, and that's unbelief. And that's staggering. And that is... That is everything that is staggering against the promise of God. That's diacrino. That is provoking. That is what God is doing to his people to get their attention. I'm out of time. I'm right in the middle of this. I want to take you back to Moses where he provoked God. God said, you're not going to the land. I want to take you where he begged God. Please let me go in tears. He was begging God. God said, don't you talk to me about this again. Do you understand me, Moses? How would you like God to talk to you that way? Let me put it this way. How would you like God to talk to you? Because he spoke to Moses face to face. And that was Jesus pre-incarnate. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Teach us with your examples over there in the Old Testament scriptures, in Numbers and Deuteronomy. Teach us that we cannot provoke you by living in unbelief and stressing out and worrying about whether we're going to do things or not. Lord, this is this is your will. What's going on is you're doing this to cause us to conform to Christ's likeness. Thank you for everything you do. I thank you for letting me see this picture of rebellion of Israel, and it applies to the church. Thank you for everything. In Christ's name we pray, amen. That was a lot of stuff there.
I can't hear you. Oh, he changed. When he talked to God, he changed his appearance, did, remember? Well, I know you know it. Now, what did you say? They didn't know who he was. Who? Moses. They, it, it, when he talked to God, it totally made him different. Changed his appearance. Yeah. They didn't know 